episode of Cross Street Coaching. With us, we have in-house guest, CEO, founder, baller of all bosses, Diane Ideas with hey us now. <laughs> Thank you. That's quite an introduction. I do what I can. And so we're having Diana come to us on the leadership series. Diana is the founder of Hawthorne Union, the firm, the coaching firm that I represent, that this podcast represents. And we've been talking about leadership and Diana is both a leader and a coach. So it's only fitting to have her on the show today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And Diana, for those people that haven't caught any of your previous episodes that haven't heard from you before, how do you want to be introduced today? I mean, you already did it. With all those all those acronyms? (laughs) With all those acronyms. Yeah. But I I would say, you know, listen, listen back to the archives, but, you know, covered it. i I think as we think about leadership and coaching, I see so much of a cross section between the two. I believe that coaching skills make people better leaders, better at sales, better humans. And then also, you know, when we cross over into a leadership role, it gives us a different sense of context for the complexity of what leadership involves and entails. So I'm just happy to happy to be here in a different shade. And and thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to have you on. So today we want to talk about a few things. But why don't we start talking about how you developed your leadership style, how you kind of developed that? Does that differ from your coaching style? Just kind of take us there. And why don't we kick off with that? Interesting. What an interesting question, coach. Um, so my leadership style developed before my coaching style, just because I didn't know what coaching was, um, at least in a professional context. I think, you know, it's, they, there's overlap there as far as my, part of my leadership style is figuring out how do you hold other people up? How do you make sure that other people are being the best that you can be? Um, I think what you find with leaders and I think probably mirrors my own development is there's first you developing what's your leadership style, what's your voice kind of stepping forward. Um, but then I think for me, and this mirrors my coaching style and also the fact that I mentor and train other leaders, then it becomes about how do I support others in their development? How do I support others in their leadership? Um, so it's an interesting question, leadership style. I'm not trying to avoid the question. I'm just thinking about it. Um, I think my leadership style has always been very collaborative, very people oriented. And um, I'm of the may the best idea win. It's not about where the idea comes from. And, you know, it's it's interesting as we also think about and talk about diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. I think those things really mix in in leadership. And I think that whether it's, you know, as I came up as a leader, learning from other leaders and their styles and, and, and learning how, you know, sometimes those would make me stronger. Other times it's like, oh, that style works, but it's not my style. Um, so, so much of it, too, I, I guess it's braided in there is authenticity. Yeah. So I heard I heard a few things there. I heard obviously collaborative, very people focused that you developed your leadership style before your coaching style. Um, and then also you referenced diversity, equity, and inclusion. So leading others, learning from others that are not like us. And then lastly, kind of that that bit with accountability and so on and so forth. And so did you always kind of start with this? Was there a mentor or someone that kind of helped you develop your leadership style? Or was it progressive over time? You know, it's a it's a good question. And just so you guys know out there, you don't get the questions ahead of time. Jason just hits you with them and you have to figure out what the answer is. That's a compliment. But yeah, um, 
I think it's, it's interesting because I guess so much of my identity is tied up in leadership and so much of my career has been in leadership. I think it's, it's hard for me to figure out where, where that really started. I mean, I think my upbringing, my parents were always super supportive and, you know, very much focused on how my development, how I could be the best that I I could be. And so then very early on, I was involved in more leadership roles, whether they be formal or informal. And then also, you know, I'll make references to camp counseling. I feel like organizational development is like camp counseling for adults. And, um, you know, being a counselor, then a head counselor, then working as the director to create actually a leadership camp for for the youth. Um, so I've always kind of naturally gravitated or been seen in a leadership role. And, you know, some of it has to do with probably my Enneagram number. I'm very comfortable in leadership leadership positions um, just naturally. But I I think I think it's just kind of related to my identity. And it's it's strange to say that because it because it seems like a non-answer. Um, but it's it's not to say that I don't take direction or don't listen and learn from others because I think that's really important. I think sometimes there's a misconception about if you're the leader, you can't collaborate or you can't align or you can't learn from others. Um, but I'm definitely I've been blessed to work for great people in a lot of mission driven organizations and work with really strong leaders where it was you be the best that you can be for the mission. And then, you know, whether that's for the students or for healthcare or for whatever cause. And then because of that, you know, that that support of best and brightest, that's just baked into my leadership style and then also baked into my coaching style. Yeah, it's interesting you say that you gave an unanswer, although you just you just talked for five okay. minutes about, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. about your leadership style. You ask good questions, man. <laughs> I, you're right. You don't get the questions beforehand. Sorry, this is just a regular conversation. <laughs> But it's it's because there's not like what I'm hearing is that there's not my leadership style is A, B and C. You kind of talk about it. You talk about the experience. And like for for many people, their first vision of leadership is their family, whether Mm -hmm. it's a parent or parental figure or older sibling. And so that's kind of that's kind of interesting, too. And it sounds like it kind of progressively evolved over time. But you've always had a leadership type role in some of your your previous positions. Mm-hmm. That's what usually it it's what usually happens. Um, it's not necessarily what's interesting. It's not necessarily something I aspire to, <laughs> which actually someone brought up related to my Hogan results. I have a lot of confidence in a leadership role, but it's not necessarily something that's on my list, having a certain title. But to me, I think it's about influence and impact. And I love working with and supporting very strong leaders. So when it comes to nonprofit boards or roles in kind of in volunteer roles, I love being vice president (laughs) because it gives you enough power that you can get stuff done. I can keep people on track. I can make sure those meetings are effective. But at the same time, I'm not the I'm not the main decision maker. And it doesn't mean I can't make decisions, but I prefer to collaborate and align and help other people drive towards consensus and figure out, okay, what's the best for, for as let's meet as many needs as possible. Um, so for me, the kind of VP role tends to be a sweet spot. Yeah. It's interesting. So you, so you like the, the XO, the second in command yeah. VP role. Yeah. As what long is- as you have a strong leader ahead, you know, but if you, if you don't have, a, it doesn't mean I can't do it. If you don't have a strong leader ahead, then the VP role is, is, you know, that's temporary then. But Diana, some people would say you are the founder and the head of Hawthorne <laughs> Union. It's true. It's very true. 
Um, but, you know, that's part of what's interesting about Hawthorne Union, because it was just going to be my retirement plan. It wasn't going to be my main thing. So to be the I think I think what comes to mind, and this is related to leadership as well, and also in coaching capability and preference are different things. So mm-hmm. am I capable of driving and being the boss and being the final decision maker and being the lead? I am capable, but it's my preference to work with amazing people like Hawthorne Union and then kind of collaboratively determine things and decide things. And yes, the decision, the lasting decision does rest on me. But, um, you know, I've always in my leadership and my management, I've always done better with people that have experience because I like what experience they bring to the table. And it doesn't mean I can't manage people who are new in their career and their roles, but I've always been more of a, you know, looking at what are your ideas? What are your thoughts? How do we make this better? As opposed to training someone, this is how you get from A to B, B to C kind of thing. And so now that you're in this kind of lead role, as reluctant as you may be, or have (laughs) accidentally stumbled upon it, you know, what what would you say as far as now that you're kind of at the head of the ship, still using some of the things that you've enjoyed, right? Collaboration, working through other people, but you are having to make the final decision. And like you said, capability versus preference. Has it changed since you started leading a small business? I think it's gotten easier because I'm more used to it. Um, The longer that I am an entrepreneur and doing this full time, the more I'm able to be an executive which is, you know, I was an executive coach before I resonated with that. But it's, we're always growing. And that's the interesting thing. I think a lot of times in coaching and leadership, sometimes people don't realize it's a constant evolving process, (laughs) you know, and, and, and so I, I have gotten more comfortable, but you know, this, and the union knows this, when I make really important decisions, I talk to my people first. And one thing my mom told me that was actually really helpful in my career, and she was referring to my personal life as well. She said, I'll tell you what I think because you'll do what you want. (laughs) And it was really (laughs) a helpful distinction because that is the thing. I want someone to tell me what they think. I want them to tell me their opinions, their ideas, their thoughts. But then ultimately, you know, with my kind of independent decision-making or in looking at different factors from different angles, or in the case of Hawthorne Union, at least at this point in time, I ultimately am the final word. So what would you say to to other people who are still developing their leadership style? Because I, I can ask that question to several leaders and not everyone can articulate uh, like you did. Well, it was on, hard for me. What- <laughs> so I, I get it. <laughs> And yet, and yet here you are. And you yet spoke, here we are. You spoke a lot about it. But I think most people lately have been thinking intentionally about their leadership style, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic and whatever new normal or the new way forward or as things revert or as we go back, you know, whatever it is, we've realized how important leadership is and how much we rely on connections and actual solid connections and not just taking the kind of proximity effect for granted, right? Oh, well, I was relying on this person because they were next to me. And, you know, I could always turn to them and ask them. And then when I'm removed from that, I can't, I can't just, you know, they don't hear what I'm working on. So I have to actively reach out. I have to actively connect with my team. If I'm at the top, I have to actively connect with my peers and my own support. I have to choose my people. 
So I do believe that most people as they're coming out of this have had to truly think about their leadership style. And what would you say about those people that are still trying to to create it or trying to define it? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things that that come up. So authenticity. So there's a article that I love. It's it's an it's an old school. I want to say it's 2012, um, where Gallup did a study of leadership and to see you know what are the main characteristics and what they ultimately came up with was it was about authenticity because different leaders have different signature strengths. And if you use any kind of assessment, Hogan Strengths Finder, Predictive Index, right? There are certain strengths that we naturally have, and those affect our leadership, they affect our coaching style for better and for worse, right? Our strengths and overuse are our blind spots and our derailers. So I do really think it's important to learn like what you like and how you are and 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 make sure that it feels authentic and like a match. And that's not to say, oh well I'm a people leader and I can't manage performance or oh I'm so good at managing performance but I don't like the humans. Like that's not to say it's an excuse, but we all have defaults and preferences. And oftentimes I am very strengths-based. So leaning into those preferences, you know, while we need to manage them and make sure it's not blind spots, I think that that's really important. Another thing that comes up is learning from others. And I do think it's very valuable to learn from a diversity of perspectives, whether it's leadership or coaching, to just hear other styles. Because that's the thing, if you're still developing as a leader or still developing as a coach, you don't know what you sound like, right? Like you, (laughs) you don't. And you know, the first time I delivered a performance intervention plan, my direct report was like, that didn't sound like you. It sounded like your boss. Well, she was right. It was my boss because I didn't know what me delivering a performance intervention plan sounded like. I had never done one before. Whereas later, based on her saying that to me, I collaborated with someone whose leadership style was more similar to mine to say, how would you say this? And what would you do? Because our voices were more similar, as opposed to me kind of managing in a way that didn't fit me. Yes, they're effective. But that's the whole thing. Like when we looking at and learning from different perspectives is not just so you copy those perspectives. It's so you see, hey, there's multiple ways to be effective. And which one's a fit? You know, there's the clothes in the store fit someone, you just have to decide if they fit you and if you like them. And I think the other thing that comes to mind as you talk about remote work is intention. So I was on, I've been on remote teams since, I don't know, like the early 2000s, I want to say. And don't date yourself too much. <laughs> exactly. Right. But it's like remote. And then I was remote managing by probably 2008. And the thing is, is that one of the biggest differences between, you know, we didn't have the Cisco phones or like Zoom didn't exist, you know, and, and I mean, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the like when you think about team and building a team in multiple locations, it takes intention, intentionality. You do have to think about, OK, what is good for people that are in multiple places? How do I hear the voices in different perspectives? So I think it's a combination of like learning, authenticity, intention, and then also knowing that, you know, I don't see leadership as a right or wrong. I see it as what's your style? What are the strengths of that style? What are the potential pitfalls of that style? And then how are you actively working to be better? Interesting. You don't see leadership as a right or a wrong. No, I mean, hopefully we have really strong leaders, but I think 
strong leaders are continuously developing. I mean, if I look on social media, there's there's tons of complaints about people that are doing leadership wrong. My boss is the worst, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, and and that's not to say that that's not to say that it doesn't have negative impact, but I don't think I feel like you can't, I mean, there are certain things where, you know, if someone doesn't listen, if, you know, but I mean, even, even like micromanagement. So everyone is like, oh yeah, you know, I want a proactive leader and, um, and not a micromanager. But the thing is, is what's a performance intervention plan? It's micromanagement. And sometimes that level of support and care and accountability is what an employee needs to not lose their job. And it's not necessarily what you want to do every day, but it's an intervention. So, you know, some people live in black and white. And I actually think that that's created a lot of dissonance, especially in all of the times and social unrest and pandemic and things that are going on. But I do think it's about how do we learn? How do we listen and learn from other people and their perspectives? Because even leaders that we think are ineffective, I feel like there's something that they're doing right, even if it's just their intent. Well, thanks for sharing some of your thoughts on leadership. You're like some of your wrong thoughts. (laughs) Some of the wrong thoughts. Yeah, (laughs) clearly the line is drawn in the sand. But let's catch up on what you've been working on lately. So, Diana, what do you have coming up around the corner? Yes. So coming up around the corner, I'm very excited. Um, This has actually been this was one of the classes on my list when I first started Hawthorne Union. I don't even think it had a name yet. It's actually Hawthorne Union's birthday tomorrow, six years old tomorrow. So very excited about that. Um, So we have diversity, equity and inclusion for coaches. And so I'm excited about this because there's a lot of people searching out there. You know, what is it? I think that a lot of people have been searching to try to figure out like, what does it mean for them personally and or professionally related to diversity, equity and inclusion? I don't I haven't seen that space specifically for coaches. So when we're coaching other people, when it's not our agenda, when it's our client's agenda, what does that look like? And I do think it's really important to lead by example. And so I'm excited about that class. It's in partnership with the amazing Jason Spector. I don't know if you've <laughs> met him, but he's awesome. Um, Never so heard I'm of him. really looking forward to having a safe space for coaches to make sure that we as coaches are raising the bar so that as we're working out there with our clients um, and in the world, we're making a positive impact. So that's something going on there. And then also in line with development and also diversity of perspective. I've been doing a lot of work with the predictive index, which I really like and is actually integrated into the course where we look at, you know, what are people's natural styles? How is that a strength? How is that a blind spot? How do we make sure we look at the different needs of the team or the diversity of the team and make sure that people are appropriately included and, you know, fostering that sense of belonging? Um, So a lot of that, a lot of that's coming to the forefront. Those are things that have been in, have been integrated in what I've been doing with Hawthorne Union and, and leadership for a long time. Um, but at the same time, I want to want to make sure to bring those to the forefront because I think I think that even though the need for this education is not new, and the things that socially or systemically are being tackled have been around for a long time, I think it's important for people to just have safe spaces to learn and and learn how to be better. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about why you're creating these and why now. I mean, there was a huge a huge rush last year, a big call to action. We saw a lot of big businesses really making very strong stances or showing their true colors by being completely silent 
or either having very, very hollow gestures towards tokenism. So why is this specifically important to you? And obviously, as the leader of Hawthorne Union, you said that this is something that you've been thinking about for a while. So why now? Yeah, so I something that's something that, you know, the death of George Floyd and the conversations that brought up around that made me aware of is that I didn't realize people didn't I didn't realize people didn't know that this was happening. Um, It's coming from an upbringing where I had a potentially a different education related to diversity and the people in my life, the people I studied with, the areas I lived in or the countries that I went to. Um, This is like a lot of the systemic oppression and racism or sexism. Like that's just, it was part of my education and I didn't know, and this is privilege. I didn't know other people didn't know. (laughs) Um, So some of, I think some of the important work as allies is educating other allies, um, especially about privilege that they potentially can't see. um, And, and that it's important for, it's important for all of us to figure out how are we making the world a better place. And so this isn't something that's new in my life. um, But I realized there was more of a need for it. Um, you know, the, the work I'm talking about with the predictive index, I mean, we've been doing that for, I learned predictive index in 2015. Um, then, you know, it, it was, it's interesting though. It's interesting how things change because one of my majors in college was women's studies. And it's not necessarily something that I tell people because there's a whole slew of bias, depending on what year you're in about having that as a major. So we're in a time right now where, that would potentially benefit me having done DEI work and having a women's studies major. Those are potentially positive things on my resume now. But 10 years ago, it may have been like, oh, you're a women's studies major. Like, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> and and does that mean you don't like men? Does that mean you don't work with men? Right. So I think it's, it's interesting when we talk about and look at bias. Um, as far as why now, I think it's because... <laughs> You know, Hawthorne Union, really the premise of starting Hawthorne Union, other than the joy of working with individual clients and group clients to make people stronger at their businesses and in their careers, is was to educate coaches. And there's a lot of amazing work out there. There's a lot of not so amazing work out there um, related to educating people around diversity and equity and inclusion, but it's not specifically designed for coaches. And that's the space that Hawthorne Union is in. And so I think it makes sense for us to be having these conversations because I was in a I was in a group of mentors who are the people training coaches to coach. And a number of them were like, we don't feel equipped to have these conversations. And so I think that sometimes we don't realize what we're good at until someone asks us to serve or a need is identified. So this was something that was always on my list, but I didn't realize the need was so great. And so that's part of why it's coming up now. Yeah, it's so interesting because the the way that I've learned coaching and the way that I have also been raised with many close friends and family that are of different ethnicities, different generations, so on and so forth, is that I really view coaching as naturally as naturally inclusive because from a coach's mindset, you don't make it about you. In fact, the more further removed you are from the experience, the better you can be there for your client. The less assumptions that you have on the client's experience, 
the more you can bring to shine a light on the coaching experience. So I, I find it that when people are afraid to broach the subject or not feel equipped, you know, I would say, what is it specifically that, that they would need that coaching doesn't necessarily provide? It doesn't, I don't think it's a one size fits all where coaching fits into every single experience, but there is a lot, there's still a lot there to utilize that's already built in by default that doesn't require judgment or any kind of premonition or having to completely understand the experience for yourself. Because if you're looking to understand it for yourself, then you're not focusing on your client. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think the hard thing is, is that as a coach, it can be difficult to know like what to say and what to do. And so one of the things that we do in the class is talk about case studies. And one, one of my clients related to the pandemic was very consciously focusing on the his direct reports that were women. And what he was saying is because the women's work isn't done at the end of the day. So he was trying to be intentional about not giving them more work because then they are doing more work in the home. Well, that's positive intent, but it's also bias, right? Like what about the working dads or the single dads or, you know, co-parenting and, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, people who don't identify with a certain gender, right? At the same time, I knew his intent was good. And but is it really about me stepping in to say, hey, actually, that doesn't just affect your female direct reports, but that's my agenda. And that's my background. That's not necessarily about him. But so I didn't I didn't know what to do there. And I didn't I didn't bring it up because it didn't feel appropriate. But then when I shared that with my the coaches that I trained, they said, what about creating awareness? Because one of the things we're supposed to do as coaches is create awareness. So it's it's a potential missed opportunity there. I knew his heart. I knew his intent was good. You know, culturally, whether it was kind of where he was from originally or his experience in America, you know, in trying to do right by his direct reports, he had what I would consider a gender bias related to domestic roles and child rearing roles. Um, and I didn't say anything because it didn't feel right for me to say something. And honestly, back in that situation, I think the question still persists. Like, should I have said something? Should I have not? And I think, you know, when you want to talk about diversity and inclusion, there's some people who are going to feel really strongly that I should have said something and should have created awareness for him. And there's other people who are going to be like, hey, it's not your session. That wasn't yours to say. So I just think that there needs to be a space where coaches can explore those things and talk about those things and figure out what's my role as a coach in relation to my work with clients, in addition to who are we and kind of where do we stand as people? Oh, man, that's a good example. It even makes me think what I just said, because I was like, oh, well, if that was a fellow male, if, if I was coaching him and it was a fellow male leader, I'd have no call and be like, well, hey, bro, you know, yeah. you would you would call attention. But if I was speaking to another you know, coaching another female leader who is who is concerned for her female colleagues or her female teammates. I don't know if I would feel comfortable, especially when those roles are reversed. So, yeah, that is a good that's a that's a great example to think of how you even approach it if you should and to ha- right. be able to have those discussion with fellow coaches. Well, because in my personal life, you know, that maybe would be an easier answer to just be like, hey, I appreciate your intent. But what about what about your men and what they're doing at home? And and potentially what about gender roles? But it's also like it was his coaching session, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like that's his time and his agenda. And and that's 
to me, that's not the same in a professional context. But then at the same time, you know, I had another client who her, her, not that this is all about gender. I think these are just, you know, these are just examples. Um, her male boss was very focused on her being more assertive and I love it. I love that he wanted her to shine as bright as she can shine. Well, you know, when you look at kind of the Harry versus Harriet study, people don't always respond as well when women are more assertive. And so one of the things I talked to her about is I said, Hey, you know, one of the things you may want, like gender may be a factor here, right? Like gender may be a factor here. And then also as a minority woman, you haven't given me an impression that that's something we need to address, but I want to put that out there in case it is right. Cause it, it's, it's, it's the kind of identification of an ally space and you know, how much are we proactively? Oh, that was the other thing I was talking about. Like, I want to be a proactive leader. Well, sometimes it's important to be responsive, right? What's coming up. We can't always set the agenda ahead of time. So I think the thing is, is that there's complexity. There's, there's so much of, you know, it's like diversity, equity, and inclusion, the, the iceberg, you can see there's things you can see. And then there's a whole myriad and world of things that you can't see. So, you know, I have a friend who is mixed race, but she was raised in a family that was white and Latina. And so some of, as we talk about her interactions or her responses right now, you could look at her skin color and expect her to have a certain reaction. But then, you know, she even shared with me that, you know, when a policeman pulled her over, she was reaching for the glove compartment. Like it was no problem. Like she doesn't have the same, she doesn't necessarily have the same experience based on her upbringing that you would assume based on her skin color. So I think, Mm -hmm. I think the thing is, is that I feel we should be having these discussions anyway. So for example, my prom date, we were going to go to, so where I grew up was very diverse and it bordered a town that was not. And after prom, we were going to go to this one restaurant and my prom date who was mixed race said to me, look, I'm not comfortable going there. And I'm glad he told me because I didn't know, right? That's part of, that's part of what privilege is. You can't see it. Um, and so I think the thing is, is that, you know, having, and then at the, you know, that same year, my history teacher had us like, Hey, you know, you all speak this language, you're from this country and someone takes over and what would you do? You're not allowed to speak your language at home. And, 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 you know, we were up in arms. Right. And he's like, okay, well, that's what we did to Mexico. Right. So, (laughs) you know, I, I come from a diverse background, you know, where that has been prized. You know, it's interesting in living and working on the Navajo reservation. People are like, oh, what a diverse place. And I'm like, it's not diverse. (laughs) It's native, right? So that's a whole different, that was a whole different experience. Um, And then, you know, just having the people in my life tell me, you know, that's not a restaurant I go to, or this is This is the conversations we have with my niece and nephew to make sure that they don't get killed, right? Like, it's just, I I think those are conversations we should be having anyway to make sure that we're truly supporting and caring for each other. Um, But I also think that there need to be some formal training outlets where people have that space if it's not necessarily something that they came up with. Yeah. So DEI for coaches. Yep. So who's the class for other than coaches? So the class is only for coaches. Yeah. I mean, the class is for coaches, you know, non-coaches are more than welcome. We are a uh, inclusive environment at the same time. 
it is specifically, how does this come up in your coaching? You know, how do you create a safe space for your clients without taking over the agenda? What if your client has very different political or racial beliefs than you do? You know, what's what's appropriate? What's appropriate to say or not say? Um, you know, how how is your own potentially un, un like bias you're unaware of impacting your work with clients? I mean, even if you don't make it about something you can see on the Myers-Briggs, I'm a feeler. So I will ask people how they feel. I will express my feelings. I have a bias towards feeling overthinking. So I need to be mindful that I'm working with, if I'm working with a client who's a thinker, while sometimes asking a feeling question can provide some good diversity, it also means I'm maybe asking them questions out of their scope and out of their kind of frame of reference. So, you know, I think it comes back to intentionality. If we don't know, if we don't realize that other people are walking in such different shoes and we don't realize that people are having different experiences, how are we supposed to be better? So, you know, one of the things that was very impactful in my career was I was on a crisis support call and it was a domestic violence call. And I came in to support another coach and support um, his client. And um, she was... We were trying to see, could she leave her environment and then be safe from her abuser? So from a rational perspective, I was like, can you leave? Are you safe? Where can you go? You know, it was from almost like a first aid perspective. How does, Mm -hmm. how do we remove this person from harm? Now, thankfully, after we got off the phone, the coach that I was working with had enough experience to say, hey, that's not what you're supposed to do. So I don't know what the current practice is, but at least at that time, if you if someone who's a victim of domestic violence leaves their environment, there's a chance that it will anger their abuser and that that could end their life. So my well-intentioned recommendation to keep someone safe, potentially put their life at risk. And that I didn't know. Right. And and what I did from that is. I created crisis support training for coaches and I created a crisis support department in a coaching company. And I talked to people about crisis support and how does that integrate? And so my answer to that was education because I didn't know. And I think the thing is, is that you have a lot of people who have been either living with something for a long time and are not sure if it can get better or how it can get better. And then you have a lot of people who were maybe operating with good intent and didn't know. And unfortunately, you have people out there who are just, you know, not good people. But I like to think that they're the minority. So I think it's so important that there be places where we can have education to be better. Well, hopefully nothing will be as life-threatening in the middle of that class. But I mean, we I, hope so. Yeah. It'll be a safe space, safe class. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like that you're really onto something, which is if this is this is something that that matters to you, it matters to other people. It sounds like education and, and making that environment where we can talk about and decompress and use real life examples to get better and to supercharge the coaching skills sounds to be a great opportunity. I think it's important. And I also think the thing is, is that, you know, when I when I reached out to, you know, friends of mine to just be of support, whether it was really related to what they were experiencing in the pandemic or what was happening, you know, I, there's a burden on there's often a burden on the people who have experienced the discrimination to try to educate and make an impact. And I do think that there needs to be the allies pitch in. So for me, from a gender perspective, it's not about, 
you know, what are we doing only as women, you know, you know, what's happening with women of color versus women who don't identify of color. And what about trans women? Like, it's not, it's not about that. It's what are people doing, you know, and whether we look at, you know, race or religion or anything like that. I mean, there's people killing themselves, killing each other every day over, over religion. So I realize I have taken, I have taken us down, (laughs) you know, a, a more deep path, but I do, I do think it's, it's interesting because I get questions about, you know, okay, well, how do you identify and what does it mean for you to offer DEI um, based on your identity? And I think, I think what's interesting to me is my intent is not to take away from any other voice that's out there educating and trying to make a difference in this space. But I do think in the spirit of collaboration and the spirit of inclusion, we need different voices coming from different angles. Well said, Diana. Well said. We'll be looking forward to. I'm glad to be a part of the class. I'm looking forward to learning as much as I can help contribute to make that class happen. So we're recording this in May. The class comes out in June. Thanks so much for stopping by and for talking with me a little bit about leadership but what you got on the docket, where can people find out more about you? Yes. So hawthorneunion.com. I have committed to posting a resource on the resource page every month. So whether you're a coach or a leader or just interested in learning more, um, we do have resources coming up. Um, LinkedIn is my primary platform. Always happy to, to reach out. And what I will say as well is that in the practice of training coaches, um, we always we always need clients and people interested in learning more. So if someone's ever interested in a coaching session um, with a coach that's learning how to coach or you want to take an assessment to learn more about yourself and your leadership style, um, go ahead and contact us, reach out. You know, it, it's we're a community and always looking to grow that community. All right. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Thanks for stopping by again, Diana. And until next time. Thank you. Thank you.